Welcome to Far Louder, your official association podcast. Hello, Far members. You are in for a real treat today as I am joined by some of my favorite people in the real estate industry. This isn't a session about how to get more leads or to walk through hard transactions. However, this is a session about how to see the world around us just a little differently and to understand life from someone else's perspective. My name is Shay Williams-Hennett and I'm the chair of the Diversity Committee for FAR. I have been in real estate for almost 21 years and this business has been good to me, but it's also been very hard sometimes. I'm looking forward to sharing some of my story with you and hearing from my friends on the panel. I am joined today by the 2020 FAR president, Drew Fristo. Drew, thanks for making the time. Next, we will have Evelyn Martin, a longtime member at FAR and broker owner of her own firm. Evelyn, nice to see you. Hi. Now we have Pia Contreras Sanchez, a longtime member, as well as one of our founding members of FAR's original multicultural committee with her husband. Pia, thank you for making diversity a focus of your time at FAR and for being here today. Thank you. And last but definitely not least, my friend Valerie DeLandry, a longtime member at FAR and a dedicated committee member. Valerie, welcome and thank you for joining us today. I hope you can all agree that we only see life from our own perspective and don't know what someone else is going through until you've walked in their shoes. You will never know what it's like to be a black woman or a gay man or an immigrant with an accent. Just like I will never know what it's like to be you unless we sit down and have a conversation. So that's what I invite you to do today. Listen to the conversation that we're going to have and learn about life from someone else's perspective. You may hear things that you didn't expect, things about racism, discrimination, inequality, and maybe some ideas to help you relate better to your clients and become an, e an even better agent. We're going to start off with something fun so everyone can get a feeling for who we are. So, Pia, tell me about your favorite childhood toy. I have to tell you that um, I used to love to play with dolls. So, my parents used to travel a lot, and they always bring me um, different toys, dolls, right, especially dolls, and um, um, you know, play, pretend to be the mom, and put them to sleep, and I was very organized and always have like a little area that I used to call my, my home, right? And my brother, who is four years younger, used to love to take their clothes off. And that was, my goodness, I was, it was terrible. It was terrible for me. It was so frustrated. Every time that I put them to sleep, you know, with a nice dress and all that, and then couple minutes after or an hour after, I found them all without clothes. Isn't that, ugh, it just didn't like at all. <laughs> that sounds really oh. frustrating, Pia. Thank you for that. How about you, Drew? So uh, being the stereotypical gay man that I am, and the loving parents that I had growing up in Spalsmania County, my favorite toy growing up were Barbies. Um, I, uh, 
I was made fun of because of it, but they were my favorite things in the world. I still remember there was this one that came with the foam and you got to like create a dress with this foam in the bathtub. It was my favorite thing in the world. Thank you, Drew, for that observation. Next, I'm going to ask Valerie, what was your favorite toy growing up, Valerie? Excuse me, why I finished laughing at the first two here? <laughs> well, actually, you know, I grew up in Farmville, and I loved playing with paper dolls and paper dresses. And because I loved it so much, um, I ended up designing my own clothes and making everything I wore throughout high school and college and studied fashion merchandising. So, you know, it's not a funny story, but it really did help me in my um, quest to make my own clothes and study fashion. Thank you, Valerie. And last but definitely not least, I'm going to ask Evelyn. Oh, my favorite toy was a Barbie doll. I had lots of Barbie dolls. I didn't care about dressing them as much as I care about braiding their hair. I used to like cutting the hair, coloring the hair with um, whatever I could find, markers, and just do a hairstyle. You would think I'm a hairstylist now, but I'm not. <laughs> Thank you all so much. I'll tell y'all real quickly, I was such a tomboy. I had one doll baby, no Barbies. I had one doll baby that I was intrigued with, and it was the Chrissy doll. I don't, and I think Valerie may remember, the one where the hair grew out the top. Mm -hmm. And that was really the only doll baby that I can ever remember me having and liking. So now I'm going to ask the next question. Tell me about your family. Are you married? Do you have kids? Do you have pets? And where did you grow up? Personally, I have been married for 32 years. And my, uh, I grew up in Caroline County. With, I had two brothers, two sisters, all older than I was. And I am a country girl at heart and enjoy just living. Uh, I had a, a pony for all my years named Surprise. That was my favorite pet. And um, we just kind of like were out in the country running crazy like I, like my, my grandson and my nephews do when they run to my mom's house now. They just absolutely love it. I also have three kids. My oldest daughter is teaching in Saudi Arabia right now. And then I have a son who just graduated last Saturday from uh, Bluefield College. And then I have a daughter, our youngest, who is a student at Germana. Next, I'm going to ask Valerie to tell me a little bit about her family. Well, um, I was raised in Farmville, Virginia, and I've been married 41 years to a white man. We were in love from the first second we saw each other. We got married nine months after we left, I mean, after we met, and um, we weren't able to have babies, but we were raising our fourth German Shepherd. Um, we, we got our first dog, Tipsy, on our fifth wedding anniversary in August of 1984, and we named her Tipsy because we were so drunk. <laughs> we rented a limo for our fifth anniversary. And we had like four bottles of champagne, five bottles of wine. I never had a pet growing up. My mom wouldn't allow it. And Robbie suckered me into getting this little shepherd. She was just eight weeks old, Tipsy was, and told me that she wasn't going to get any larger. But, you know, because um, I wasn't able to have babies, you know, the doggies are God's creatures, too. And um, I've raised all of my dogs live to be around 12 years of age. All of them were shepherds. And now we have Chelsea, who is two and a half years old. And I, I was able, I came across her 
um, by accident and to find out she was born the same day my mom passed away. So um, she's been a blessing to us. And um, Rob and I have decided that we can never go through life without a dog. You know, it's like once you have to put down one after the other, you just cannot move forward. So we're blessed to, to be mommy of three girls and a boy, fur doggies. Thanks, thanks, Val. Next, we're going to ask Evelyn to tell us a little bit about her family. Well, I have, I've been married for, I never know how long I've been married, but it's been more than 20 years. <laughs> I have four children. Uh, my oldest lives in Florida. She's working on her master's. My son lives at home. Uh, he's currently working from home. And then I have two younger ones, uh, 14 and 12 year olds that, 14-year-old just started high school, so she's a nervous wreck. And then my 12-year-old um, is in middle school. And I have a Yorkie. She is four years old, and her name is Brooklyn. Evelyn, I have to tell you and Pia, God bless y'all and what you're going through now with schooling for your kids. I'm so grateful that mine are past that, but I also feel for you all during this time. Next, we're going to be asking Pia to tell us about her family. Well, um, I've been married with Javier for 23 years. We met in college and um, everybody thought that we were too young to get, get married, especially him, right? So they thought that I was <laughs> with a baby anyway. So they were wrong because it took us about seven years to have our first child. It was hard. And, um, and she is now 16. Um, she is a soccer player. She is a travel, um, travel soccer player and um, junior at high school. So she is enjoying the online um, education. She is very social, so at least she has the soccer that she can, you know, continue with with her friends and, and see each other. And then we have a little one, and uh, his name is Matias. He is seven years old, and he is just a copy of his dad. Thank you so much. And lastly, we're going to ask Drew to tell us about his family. So I am, I grew up here in the Fredericksburg area in Spotsylvania. Um, I uh, am engaged to uh, my fiance, Chris. We've been together for 10 years. Um, and we, everyone keeps asking during COVID, we had no idea when we were getting married. We'll figure it out. Um, and we have a fur baby. Uh, we have a little kitty named Miss Bubbles that we got from the SPCA. And she is a true cat. She is kind some of the time, and she's the devil most of the time, but we love her. Awesome. It sounds like a lot of us have kids, pets, and been married for a long time. Those of us who are married, congratulations to you, Drew. Now we will fill in the blanks when we meet people. And sometimes we try to categorize people as well. What are some of the presumptions that people have made about you before even knowing you? And right now I'm going to start with Drew. So uh, 
I said this earlier, but I am a walking, talking stereotype. So uh, when people see me, they think I'm going to be that fun, outgoing um, sidekick who's funny and always going to have a good time, um, that can dress well and tell you how to dress well. Um, so everyone just assumes I'm going to be that guy if they know that I am gay. Um, I have the privilege of being this very tall white man that sometimes people don't know, and I'm not particularly sure how. Uh, but uh, if they do know, I am that stereotypical gay best friend. All right. Next, I'm going to ask Evelyn. Just like Drew, people usually tell me the opposite. They usually tell me, oh, you're so serious. You don't have any fun. And I'm kind of funny when I want to be. And I have lots of fun. But usually, like, you don't smile enough or you're so serious. And I am serious. I just, it's my, my natural face. Thank you so much. Next, next let's go to Pia. I, I think that when people see me, uh, well, they think that I am Mexican, which I'm not. <laughs> uh, just because we are Hispanic doesn't mean that we're all coming from Mexico. And um, they, uh, I think that they think that I am just, you know, an immigrant that uh, doesn't have an education, um, which I do. And I was really born here in the United States. I was born in New Jersey, but I grew up in Chile because my parents went back to Chile. So that's it. Thank you, Pia. Valerie, how about you? Well, um, it really comes down to who is making the presumption, whether the person is Caucasian or whether they're black. Um, a, a lot of black women seem to think I, if they meet my husband, they think I'm not black enough, you know, um, not sure what that means, but that's what they think. Or if they think I'm bougie, you know, once they, you know, find out a little bit about me, they just think I'm bougie, you know, and then unfortunately, I've experienced that, you know, some Caucasians think that I'm not going to do a good job for them because I am black. So it just depends on who's making the presumption. It's always up to me to prove them wrong. Exactly, Valerie. I thank you for that. I know I've had the same thing, and I know that some people have um, heard me talk about it before and, and why I use two business cards and, and um, what has happened to me on at least two occasions when I have uh, had clients come into my office and realize that I'm a black agent, and then all of a sudden they know somebody who's a realtor who can help them. And so, yes, there are definitely some things that people mm -hmm have presumed and, um, and we're praying that hopefully this, this video is going to be one way that we will be able to shut some of those things down that people have assumed for years. So thank you all for that information. Next, can you share a conversation you have had in your family, which maybe other families don't have to have? Valerie, this time I'm going to start with you. Um, I have two sisters and we're very close. We're like three peas in a pod. And we have conversations that I'm sure many, majority of American families do not have 
you know, my mom passed 21 years ago. So even though she's not here, we still live our life as if she's here. And all of her teachings have always stuck with us. And we have conversations about how thankful we are to our mom, how she raised us. She raised us to know that we were going to come up in a racist world because we're a mixed family, first of all. Our own grandfather didn't accept us as his grandchildren until my sister, my oldest sister and I were teenagers. My, my dad's father is Caucasian. And um, so, you know, once you realize your own family's not going to accept you, my, my mom, she's very strong. She raises in the church, and she, she really beat it into our heads that we are not here to please anyone except God. That's it. And, and she told us over and over, they talk about Jesus, they will talk about you, and you are no better than him. So we go back to these teachings all the time. We came up in, in the world where blacks didn't like us because of our features, and then of course whites don't like us because of the color of our skin. So we're, we always go back to that about how grateful we are, how mom you know, left us her faith, and, and really you know, taught us to work hard and don't expect anyone to give us anything. Don't expect anything for free. You go out, you work for it, and you will appreciate it. And so we still have these conversations on a consistent basis, um, and it really strengthens us and makes us go through life and, and realize that we're not here to please you. We're here to just work hard and only be pleasing to the Lord. Thank you, Valerie. Next, Drew. So I have the uh, fun task of uh, coming out a lot. Uh, so <clears throat> one of the conversations I've had to have with my family is first coming out. And I said earlier that my favorite toy was a Barbie. So when I came out to my family, I just assumed uh, no one would be surprised because I've said I'm a walking, talking stereotype. Girls were always my friends. Uh, I never really liked to do boy things, if you want to gender things. Uh, so when I did come out, my parents are both raised in the South. They're very religious. So uh, it wasn't easy. And I'll also say my parents are my best friends. I love them with my whole heart. But uh, it was not easy for them to come to terms with me being uh, gay. They kind of came with the thought of if I just didn't deal with it, it would go away. Um, they don't see it as something that you are born with. They see it as the choice that I have made, uh, which is difficult because, again, my parents are my best friends and they really don't accept me. If I told them I was going to marry a woman two seconds from now, they would probably be ecstatic and have a party. Um, but saying that, they also love Chris, my fiance. So the conversation, I have family members that I can't talk to this about. Um, or I don't just because I know it's going to be a conversation that will not go well. Um, and I assume my family loves me, my extended family. Uh, but there are just some family members that I don't talk to Chris about or I don't talk to that part of my life to them about just because it's easier. Um, is that right? Uh, I don't know, but it's easier for me. So what to do. Well, it sounds like you just don't like a lot of controversy, so I definitely understand that. And next, let's ask Evelyn. A conversation that we have around our dinner table with our children is about, unfortunately, I have, um, we have it all the time. 
uh, usually we have it now too because um, it's about getting pulled over. We have a son who drives, he's 22. And like any 22 year old, he thinks he's invincible. He could do whatever he wants and we have to remind him. You have to always keep your hands on the steering wheel. You have to make sure you say everything you're going to do, speak it out first. Uh, please wear certain clothing when you're going out at night. He thinks his parents are crazy and paranoid, but we know from experience that this is the best way to protect him. So it's kind of a struggle. He is starting to understand what that means, but it is a conversation we have with him and with our daughters. And they don't seem, they don't want to understand what it, why we have to have this conversation, but we still keep having it and we remind them. And it doesn't mean that things are bad. You just have to protect yourself at all times. And unfortunately for us, every time you get pulled over, there's a possibility that you're not going to walk away from that experience. So it's scary as parents to have to deal with that. So we're constantly having this conversation at, at our dinner table. Evelyn, thank you so much for that. Pia, would you like to give us some your thoughts? Yes. Well, as I mentioned before, you know that I grew up in Chile. So I really never had to deal with discrimination, different colors, you know. Um, in Chile, usually... Most of the people are what we consider they are white, right? Um, there's no, there's no black people. There's no, um, you know, we probably have different, different tone um, on our skin. So I grew up not having to talk about about those topics, and um, and even though we've been here for. 20 years, it's still hard for me to hear about it. And, um, and having children, um, it's, it's more difficult because I don't know how to address some questions. Um, the other day we, you know, and I asked and I uh, encouraged them to watch TV and watch the news and know what it's going on. I want them to be uh, part of a, a the real life, uh, and, and I want them to have, you know, their own voice and their own opinion. So my seven-year-old was asking me, why are they calling them black? There's no, they don't, they're not black. And I was like, what color do you think they are? They're just, you know, brown. I mean, you know, they're more dark. And, uh, and why, why are they calling them white? There's no such color. I mean, you don't, you don't have a white skin color, which I thought that it was very, so I started to ask him questions because I don't want to impose, you know, on him, this is how it is, or this is how you have to see it. But it just, you know, it makes me emotional too. Um, so I asked him, you know, so what do you think that the light color um, on their skin is? Said peach. They have peach color skin. So, you know, um, we're, you know I'm, I'm learning, I'm still learning. Those are the, the conversations that I never thought I had to have uh, with my children. Um, my daughter who is 16 and I, you know, thank God I have bad memories. So I don't remember um, how it was for her when she was very little. The only thing that I can tell you is that um, she went to, to a private school and um, 
because I felt that I was protecting her and, and I'm doing the same thing with my son. Uh, but then um, for uh, middle school, she said, mom, I, I, I need to leave this school. And I was like, why? You know, you're getting a great education. She said, I, I need to see more diversity. And to hear that on a 13-year-old girl is really and powerful. It's really, you know, something that, um, um, I mean, I was proud of her. I, I think that um, she was trying also to find um, more people like her and uh, more like her, not, not too much on her color, but, you know, more like her thinking, you know. Um, so, yeah, those are, the, those are things that I, you know, that we have to talk about. And uh, thank God my daughter doesn't, doesn't you know, drive yet. But, um, uh, for example, we talk with my husband that, you know, if we ever get pulled or, or, you know, we are stopped by a police officer, you know, get your cell phone ready. So it's, it's frightening. It's, you know, something that I should feel protected. Thank you, Pia. And I totally agree with that. I'm like you. I have a son who just turned 23 and that's the conversation that we have. And, but my kids, even my daughters, if a light comes up behind them, before they even stop, they have called me and said, I just got stopped by a police officer and I am on that phone listening to that entire conversation. So thank you all. It's sad that we have to do this, but all we're trying to do is protect our children. And unfortunately, um, it, it is what it is. We have to do that. So we're going to go to the next question. Tell me about a time when you felt marginalized in either your work or your personal life. And Pia, I'm going to start with you on that one. Yes. Well, um, I came to, to um, oh, I came back to the United States with my husband a couple of years ago. And, um, uh, you know, we both uh, graduated from 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 college, wanted to get our masters and, uh, and, you know, uh, my parents offer, you know, you come and leave with us, but we wanted to get our independency. I mean, we already had our own apartment and, and, and Chile. So it was, it was hard for us to leave, you know, going back to, to live with your parents. So, so we stayed with them for, for a while. And then, um, we came from a big city. So, you know, not having sidewalks and no having, you know, like streetlights, it was kind of odd for us. It was, you know, so we wanted to find something in downtown. And, um, and we went to this apartment complex um, right across from Mary Washington on um, uh, the main street there. Um, and, uh, well, now it's, it, it, it belongs to Mary Washington, but it used to be just, you know, rentals. So we went to the office and, and the lady right away told us that they didn't have any apartment available. So um, I asked her, so when it's going to be your next available apartment or, or how long do we have to wait? Or, so every, uh, every question was, um, um, no, um, we don't have, we don't know. Uh, so it was very negative and, and we just left. We, you know, we felt that uh, that it was not it was not right, but we didn't talk about it too much. And then we just went to the next one, and we finally found an apartment in, in downtown. Um, now, 
after a couple of years and and when I became a real estate agent and I had to go through for housing classes and 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 talk about that topic and that's why I have this big sign here in the back um, I learned that we really were discriminated um, and and every time that I think about it it just makes me sick uh, they didn't have to do that uh, to us uh, we are you know good people uh, we are well educated we're clean it was just you know my husband and I you know you could say oh you know it's not uh it's just a one uh, apartment one room apartment you know you can't have you know, you can have kids or you know so uh so it's it's um it just um uh, and it was just one time um event in my life and i cannot imagine how how hard uh people that have to go through that so many times you know it it just you know breaks my heart and like i said i mean it just makes me sick and and that was and a very unfortunate um episode when we just came here i can't hear you pia thank you so much for that evelyn how about you well I've had many <laughs> uh, incidents where this has occurred. I come from New York, so it's a whole different mindset, even though it's called a melting pot. Um, and I was not living in the best conditions. Uh, so, but I'll tell you an incident that occurred here while I was in Virginia. I used to be a principal broker for a larger franchise firm, and we had what you call a day of service. So this particular day of service, we were collecting food for the food bank. Um, so we were outside of a grocery store and we were giving out little flyers. So yeah, please give us some items on this list and so forth and so on. Here comes this gentleman. He must have been somewhere in his 50s, maybe 60, white gentleman. I'm, I, I go over and I say, excuse me, sir. And I'm about to hand him over the pamphlet and he put his hand up. And he tells me, first, learn how to speak proper English. So I was like, whoa. <laughs> and I've given enough of my tax dollars to people like you. And he kept walking. Now, in his defense, non-perishable food items for the Ferdinand Food Bank is a tongue twister for somebody like me with an accent. So I'm like, maybe he didn't understand what I was saying. But my tax dollars being spent on people like you, that... I didn't understand that because I was fully, I was dressed professionally. I was, it was obvious that we were doing a fundraiser for a community event. So it just felt wrong. It just felt like well, there was no need for that. And that's one of the nicest bad experiences that I can tell you uh, when it comes to feeling marginalized. Thank you, Evelyn, for that. Next, we're going to go to Drew. So I, again, have the privilege of sometimes being able to like hide or mask uh, who I am. Um, but I will say, and I mean, we've, I'm sure I know that we've all gone through it, that we've had clients that just don't call us back or as Shay says, you know, they all of a sudden they have a realtor friend that they didn't know about. 
so I have had people that haven't used me and they've never said it, but I know it's because I am gay. Uh, but uh, I, I go through, through life all the time with people um, just all of a sudden hearing my voice and treating me a little bit more different or hearing my voice and walking away from me at a party and not really talking to me anymore or um, having me walk in a room to speak to a group of people and they say something afterwards that they aren't very happy that I was there to speak um, because of who I am. So, um, I mean, as I said, the privilege that I have is I can, I can butch it up sometimes and Chris and I won't hold hands or uh, won't be affectionate towards each other and just kind of, you know, mask it up and we can pass. Um, but, um, usually my voice gets me away. So. Wow. Thank you, Drew, for that. And Valerie, you now, please. Well, geez, y'all. Let me think of one that can maybe help to benefit people. I don't know. There's so many. Um, I recall that I was on duty with an agent. And I, it was during the time when President Obama was in office and there was racial tension starting to flare up in the country. And just out of the blue, um, she says that she didn't think that blacks and whites should be married. And as a matter of fact, whites and blacks should live separate from each other. Knowing she also knew that my husband was white and I was so offended. So I, I spoke to the broker and you know, I, I thought maybe I had a fair housing case, but, you know, fair housing really is how you treat consumers and not how you treat each other. So it really was an ethical violation on her part. And also the fact is I seriously doubt if, if the board wants anyone out there with that kind of heart and they're representing buyers, sellers, tenants, and landlords, you know. Um, so I went to the broker and they, they never asked her to apologize to me. It was obvious the only thing they did was to tell her to avoid me. So the time remaining before I left that agency, when she, if she saw me coming down one hallway, she would duck and go down the other hallway. Um, if we were scheduled together on duty as agents on duty, she would get someone else to cover for me. So um, the problem is that if you witness something that's wrong, you have to do something about it. If you just brush it under the rug, nothing will ever get done, you know? So that made me feel really bad, so bad where I decided to leave that, that position there. Thank you all so much. I know that I've had situations the same way. You know, I, I try to be present and in the moment whenever I can, but often I am the only black present and I don't mind doing that because I want to represent who I am. But sometimes people could care less that you're part of the group. They could care less if you're involved. They could care less whether you even show up. And I know that I have been in a situation before where I showed up to an event and I know for a fact that some of the information that was going to be conveyed at the event got changed because I was the only black in the room. So it's sad that we've come to that and it's sad that we're still here all these years later, but all of us have a story of us being discriminated against. And like Drew said, whether it's because he's gay or if you talk about 
uh, Evelyn's, uh, the way she, maybe she pronounced a word or because Pia wanted to get an apartment or Valerie because she's married to a fabulous white man. It's just so sad that people don't see people. They see color or they see uh, other diversity issues. So our next question. Hey, hey Shay. Yes. So and uh, something that uh, I'm going to continue talking, Kim, uh, but something that I have experienced as well is that, and I don't know if it's just me, but people love to open up to me and talk to me. So uh, something that I have happen all the time is people come to me and explain to me why they don't agree with gay people or you know, LGBTQ people um, and try to kind of have the conversation um, of like, I have to explain everything for the entire LGBTQ community. And, um, and I try to be like a great spokesperson for, and, you know, try to be as uh, friendly as I can, but I, and I don't know if you guys have the same experience, but people just come up to me and be like, I don't like you because, or I don't agree with you because, and I have to, I mean, I don't want to be that angry gay person that is always fighting and I have to be like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, but do you guys have the same experience? Uh, Drew, that, that is, we, and I think we've talked about it one time about stereotypes. That is so stereotypical. Like my son, he may go to a protest and he may have a sign, but most of the time he's behind the camera because he loves taking pictures, but he would never, ever, ever be torching a place or looting a place. But because he's a young black man in America, then he's considered either a thug or he's considered a looter or he's considered one of those bad guys that don't want to do anything but destroy stuff. And so we all, I'm sure Pia has situations like that when they just want to group everybody into the same thing. But also when they come to you and they ask questions, I love people coming to me and asking me questions questions because I love the dialogue. I love the education because some people just don't know. And for those who don't know, I don't mind forgiving them for not knowing. But for those who just assume that all blacks do this or that or all blacks don't have educations or one of the things that we laughed about before was that all blacks love fried chicken and watermelon. And I can tell you right now that's not true because I've been married to a man for 32 years and he doesn't. So it's just so many stereotypes. We talked about the fact that black people always say that white people don't know how to season food. And we talked about the fact that you love to cook and you all love seasonings. So it's just a dialogue. It's a conversation. It's another way to get to meet people and know people and understand their families and what they love and what they don't love. But it's also a time to talk about our differences, but talk about it in a respectful way. And that's the things that we all need to hopefully be willing to do to anybody. Um, now, I'm not going to sit up and let anybody be all in my face and accusing me of anything. That's not going to happen. But we can definitely have a civil conversation about anything that anybody wants to talk about. So thank you for bringing that up, Drew. So for our next question, can you share an example of a time when someone was a great ally to you? <clears throat> Evelyn, I'm going to start with you. Okay, so um, a great ally. The great, the word ally, um, I want to say enabler, but it's the same thing. Um, I've had, when I was 
when I was starting, when I started my professional career, not as real estate, but as a, a paralegal, I was hired by a district attorney who unbeknownst to me, uh, hired me against everybody else's opinion. Everybody else had chosen someone else, but he took it upon himself to train me and teach me things that I, I that he saw that I could do and uh, elevate me to a different level. I later learned that I was not the preferred candidate, not because of I didn't have the education necessary, but because they wanted someone who had a different, more uh, uh, affluent background, and my background was not that. But what he saw was that I was not from an affluent background, but I still was trying to do, you know, move forward. So I, he was a great ally to me. Thank you so much for that. How about you, Valerie? Well, Shay, you know, I'm going to pick it off what you just talked about, um, uh, having to do with watermelon and fried chicken. Rob and I were married in August of 79, and we moved to Fredericksburg in March of 1980. And the very first restaurant that we ate at called Napolita Pizza, it was right there on US 1, um, known as Cambridge Street. And um, keep in mind, when we moved to Fredericksburg, there was one traffic light on Route 3. Um, anyway, we went in the restaurant, Robbie and I. There was an entire baseball team of all white guys in the restaurant. And once we sat down, they started making racial comments, things like, oh, I guess they're going to have watermelon on their pizza. Oh, no, maybe it's going to be fried chicken, things like that. Well, the owner, Mr. Napolita, he made them all pay their bill and leave. And we were just, you know, we wow. loved him. We just loved him. And we imagine the reason why he was so supportive and such a great ally is because he was, he was Greek. And I imagine that him and his family endured racism themselves, you know, when they started out in this country or when they started out their business. But he was, as a matter of fact, there were 12, 13, 14 guys. They had to all leave. So it was, you know, it was a blessing to know him. That is the only place we had pizza until we moved to Fort Lauderdale in 1980. All right, Valerie, thank you for that story. We appreciate that. How about you, Drew? So in the LGBTQ community, a lot of uh, people are disowned by their, their families, their parents, they're kicked out of their houses. Um, and so as an LGBTQ community, we get to create our own chosen families. We get to surround ourselves with people who love us for who we are and support us no matter what. So I will have to say that I have always kind of surrounded myself unknowingly um, with some great allies. Um, my best friends when I came out, Shauna and Emily, were always there for me, always supportive when my family, my actual family wasn't really. Uh, so uh, the chosen family part of the LGBTQ community, yes, is it sad that parents, you know, just own their kids because it's something that they can't change. Yes. But we get to surround ourselves with people that we get to choose and we know that they love us. Uh, so I have a whole group of friends um, that um, will always be there for me, will always have my back. And it's always nice to know. Thank you, Drew. I'm sorry, but that stuff like that just really, 
that just really gets to me because it's so sad that people judge people and especially family members for something like that. So I'm sorry, y'all, for crying, but that just really bothers me. It just really tears in my heart that that people can just feel that way and have so much hatred and so much animosity toward people because they're not like them. That's, that's just sad to me. I'm sorry. Pia, you're next. Okay. Um, I belong to um, a small local uh, brokerage for 10 years. My broker was uh, Frank Franco. Um, he met my father maybe in 2000 or something like that. And, uh, and he offered him to become a real estate agent. There were not uh, many real estate agents, uh, Latinos real estate agents at that time. And uh, he believed in him. And, uh, and then I also um, joined the, the company. And he was a great ally to us. Um, he nominated my father in 2003 for the VHDA Service Award, uh, which is a national um, level uh, award, and uh, my father got it. Uh, so, you know, to find that kind of, of person that believes in you, that trusts you, when you have um gone through so much to you know get a decent job uh and you're not getting it not because you don't have the credentials just because of your accent um just because you didn't grow up here or went to college here um so you really um treasure that uh and that is something that you will never forget um Mr. Franco encouraged me to get my broker's license. So the broker that I am today, um, I, it's, it's because of him. And he paid for my broker's license too, or not the broker's license, but the class. You know, it's expensive. It's uh, something that, um, um, and I got it when, you know, the business was, the economy was bad. So um, every, every sale and every commission was, you know, to put fo- food on the table. So, um, I mean, you know, to find that kind of, of people in your life is just, you know, to enrich you. And, uh, and I share this story and I share his name every single time, every time that I can. Thank you, P. I appreciate that. Mine is actually about a high school teacher who knew that I was a smart girl, but There were girls that used to love to fight, and if they picked on me and they wanted to fight, I was going to fight with them. And she pulled me aside one day and said, girl, you're getting straight A's and a U in conduct. And she changed my life. She literally took all my study halls away and had me be an assistant for her and for the gym. And to this day, uh, God bless her, she died about maybe eight years ago. But to this day, when anybody talks about the person who made such a change in my life other than my mom, it absolutely was her. And I know that she gave me the the um, trajectory to go to college and, and, and she was an English teacher. So I wanted to major in communications and there were just all these things that 
that made me want to be like her. She had joined a sorority and I joined that sorority when I went to college. And so she was just somebody that I wanted to emulate because she was a pastor's wife. She was kind, she was gentle, but she was also stern. And I have, to this day, I still respect everything that she did for me. And I know that I'm a better person because of her. And her name was Charlotte Young. Next, we're going to go to the next question. And I'm sure there are people listening who want to do something, but they're struggling to figure out what should they do. So how can others be a great ally to you? Let's start with Drew. So mine is a difficult one, um, but not really. It's only difficult because people put roadblocks in the way um, of accepting people in the LGBTQ community, roadblocks being where they're from, religion. Um, and so I say, first of all, I love the saying, before you judge me, learn something about me. So I always say, if you would like to call me, we can have coffee. Um, but I can't talk to every person. So there are, we live in an amazing time of information. So there are podcasts, there are books that you can read to just maybe understand us more, um, understand the community as a whole. Um, we are just like everyone else. Uh, we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. Um, it, it, it's that simple, but there's a great podcast about making gay history it's also a book, um, but it just kind of talks about um, the people that were involved with um, making it um, legal for me to be who I am today um, and just goes through the years and years of work that people did uh, to um, make it so that this year became uh, finally illegal for me to be fired because I'm gay. And it's 2020. Um, so, um, we're, it's got, it's a long process. We're nowhere near done on trying to make it equal for everyone in the world, but, um, just trying to be, have an open mind and understanding that we're just human beings trying to live our lives every day. Like you are. Thank you so much, Drew. How about you, Pia? Just, you know, um, equal treatment. I mean, treat me with respect. Uh, I know that I am, I, I mean, I, I, I feel like I don't have to prove anything to anybody. Um, I'm a good agent. I'm a good mom. I'm a good business person. So, you know, just treat me with respect. Thank you. How about you, Evelyn? So I would add, have empathy. Not everybody comes from your background, but that doesn't mean that there's something awkward or inappropriate about them. Empathy goes a long way and treat them with respect and be open to listening in non-judgmental ways. We always come into conversations with one mouth and two ears and somehow we have one ear and two mouths. Let's just listen to each other and be respectful. That goes a long way. Thank you. How about you, Valerie? Well, you know, I have to go back to what Dr. King says is, you know, you know, don't judge people, you know, by the color of their skin, but the content of their character. Um, you know, give a person that, you know, find out how experienced they are before you see what they look like and then you decide you don't want to work with them. 
Um, I just think that racism should be called out whenever it's noted. I had a client in Salem Fields. She owned a patio home. Um, I worked hard for her. She referred three, three of her friends to me, also in Salem Fields, owning a patio home. Um, I was able to sell two out of those referrals. The third referral, um, I spoke with the lady three or four times. I knew how many grandchildren she had, their names, everything. She continued to talk about um, all the wonderful things Miss Penny said about me. Keep in mind, Miss Penny was an older white lady, um, over 70 years old. And once I showed up at, at that referral store, she would not even let me in. She was shocked to see what I looked like. She had no idea of my race just by talking to me over the phone. So I let you know my client know exactly what happened. Well, she called her out on it. She, she called her out on it and told her that I don't even think they're friends anymore because of that. Not that she should go through life in, in any friendship, but if someone is mistreated and it has to do with a prejudice or, or a racist type of act, you really have to speak up. And, and, and everybody wants opportunity. You know, I have to just quote um, Viola Davis. I think she was the only award, Academy Award went black female in 99 years in the history or something. She says the only difference between women of color and everyone else is opportunity. And so it's like, you know, we all work hard and we just want the same opportunity. So, um, so that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Valerie. I appreciate that. And I know for myself, the one thing that I just want people to do is not be silent. Not be silent. Because for me, some of the things that are happening in the United States right now, because you have no voice or because you don't call it out, for me, it feels like you're okay with it or you agree with it. And I just had lunch with a friend of mine yesterday, a white, a white friend of mine, and we talked about what is going on in the world and how the things that are happening aren't being called out as they are. And the one thing that I said right before we got up from the table is, I wish I had a sharp knife. And they looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> and I said, I'd like to cut my wrist and I'd like to cut yours. And I would like to do a video to show people that both of us are red inside. And that was something that we laughed about for so much. And then the comment, the response was, no, they, they might be thinking that maybe we're trying to hurt ourselves. But at the end of the day, really, we all bleed red. And how boring would this world be if we all looked alike, if we were the same color, had the same hair texture, the same height, the same weight, the same whatever. We all had two kids, one girl and one boy. How, how would this world look like? So for me, diversity is something that everybody must embrace because we are America. We are that melting pot that Evelyn mentioned earlier where no matter where you go in the United States, you can probably see somebody from every country in the world. But don't be silent. I know for me, I would love to have conversations with anybody. I don't mind talking to anybody about my race, about my experiences, of anything that they would want to ask me about black people. I would be happy to answer anybody's question. And I'm sure you all will feel the same way. 
So I just want to thank you all so much for the time that you gave us during this uh, during these videos, your vulnerability, your willingness to share your stories, because working together, we are realtor strong. And you can be a strong voice against racism and against discrimination of all kinds. So thank you so much as well for all of you who are listening. And farm members, I just challenge you to reach out and Talk to any of us that you want to ask questions of and just be a part of this movement that FAR has decided to embark upon because we do want to make sure that our association is diverse. So thank you all for everything that you said today and being able to um, just, you know, give us your true feelings about what is going on and how you're feeling about um, the things that are happening in your lives. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Far Louder. Find more resources at farmembers.com.